Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's also turn to Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. Here Jesus is preaching against the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So far from Matthew 23. Let's also turn to James 5, literally just a single verse, but we want to see that it's there. James writes his letter in such a way, he throws these things in there sometimes, and often it's contained in a single verse, but we want to see this verse here, because it will factor into the sermon this afternoon. So James 5, verse 12 James writes, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven, or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 63, stanza 4. We turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 37. That's on page 554 of your books of praise. This is the second Lord's Day dealing with the third commandment. There the question is, but may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word, and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, 
A lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're continuing our series of studies on the Ten Commandments, and this is the second week that we're looking at the third commandment. You might have noticed this is the only commandment in, in the, of the Ten Commandments that gets two Lord's Days in the Heidelberg Catechism, and there's, there's an important reason for that, and the reason is this, because during the time of the Reformation, there was a big debate about this commandment and, and what it has to what it implies, especially whether or not Christians can take oaths. The Anabaptists, they're the uh, spiritual forefathers of today's Baptists, they took the position that Christians can never swear any oaths at all. And if you are reading uh, with me, as we read earlier, you can understand where that position comes from. Our Reformed Fathers in the faith uh, took, took the position that you can still swear oaths in God's name, but only under certain circumstances and only in certain ways. Well, there's a couple of reasons why this question is still worth our attention in 2018, even 500 years after the Reformation. And one reason is because this, this debate still exists in our day, even if you don't hear about it much. Uh, many evangelicals, including Calvinistic uh, evangelicals and Baptists, people like John Piper or John MacArthur, uh, continue to believe that it's wrong to swear oaths, even in court. The other reason is because we ourselves have these biblical texts. And and we just read them again now. And undoubtedly, many of us wonder, is it okay, given what the Lord Jesus said, and given what James said, is it okay for us to swear oaths? What if you are a witness in court? Will you swear an oath in God's name? Would you place your hand on the Bible after reading what we've read from the Bible? Well, we want to start then by, by simply recognizing the, the biblical dilemma that, that stares us in the face here. Jesus and James are very, very clear. Jesus uh, rebuked those who swore elaborate oaths and said, Instead, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's very straightforward. And in fact, James's warning is even stronger. You notice it comes at the very end of his letter, and he says, Above all, brothers, so uh, more importantly than anything I've written so far, uh, do not swear by anything, he says, by heaven or by earth or by anything else. So James and the Lord Jesus are very clear. We ought not to swear oaths. So the first question we want to ask then is, is why? Why? were James and the Lord Jesus so opposed to the swearing of oaths? The explanation that uh, most people would give, and and many Baptists uh, give today, is that when you make an oath, you're implying by making that oath that otherwise your word is not to be trusted. So uh, oaths are essentially a way of saying, uh, hear me, I'm definitely not lying, 
But when you make the oath, the argument is you're implying that otherwise you might be lying. Uh, so in anything else I say, you don't get the same guarantee that I'm telling the truth. And, and therefore, Jesus and James say, don't swear oaths at all, just tell the truth all the time. It's a sensible, logical argument. And, and in general, Christians agree on that, uh, that argument. We shouldn't be regularly making oaths. We should be a people of the truth, people who tell the truth. And if we are always having to make oaths, always swearing in God's name, uh, that does imply something about our trustworthiness. The problem is when we open our Bibles, we discover that there are examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of, for one thing, saints taking oaths. Also examples of God Himself taking oaths. So if you say oaths mean your word isn't trustworthy, why does God take oaths? And in some cases, God even commands people to take oaths. Consider just some of the following texts. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. The Lord says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him, and again, by His name, you shall swear. And you see this through the prophets a number of times as well. Jeremiah 4, verse 1. Jeremiah says, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in the Lord, and in Him they shall glory. So there's an encouragement there to swear oaths in the name of the Lord. To do so truthfully, but nonetheless to swear oaths. There's also examples of this in the Old Testament case law. Uh, Exodus 22 is, is one example. Exodus 22, verse 10, it says, If a man gives to his neighbor or... Excuse me, if a, if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep it safe, so he's loaning out his, one of his animals, and if it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make restitution. So there's a command. If you're loaning something and the person who borrows it uh, in, this case, in this case, an animal, uh, kills the animal or the animal dies on the job, um, and you suspect that your neighbor did it on purpose or did it with, with gross negligence, um, but the neighbor denies it, then an oath is to be sworn. That way the owner can be satisfied that this person is, is speaking the truth. He made an oath in the name of the Lord, and, and then the borrower is also thereby protected. And this isn't only limited to the Old Testament. In Romans 1, verse 9, Paul swears an oath to the Roman congregation. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Now, maybe that's not a formal oath, but it is a calling upon God as witness. You see another example of this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23. So Paul's, in the context, Paul's defending himself for why he didn't visit the congregation of Corinth earlier. And he writes, I call God to witness against me 
it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. That's very clearly an oath. He says, I call God to witness against me. So the issue is not so clear cut as it might seem if all we read were the two passages from Matthew and the one from James. Jesus and James write very clearly that we should not take oaths, and yet we find other places where it is permitted to take oaths, and in some cases even commanded to take oaths in the name of the Lord. And we find examples of the saints doing this, and even examples of God Himself doing it. So how do we, how do we put these two things Together, we're a people of the book, a people of God's word. We want to understand how these things fit together. Well, we should start by trying to understand exactly what the Lord Jesus and the Apostle James were up against. When we read Jesus' command in Matthew 23, it it does give us some insight into the sort of thing that was going on in their day. So again, in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if someone swears by the gold of the temple, well, then they're bound to keep their oaths. And he rebukes them for that. And another kind of oath as well, where you make an oath on on the altar and it doesn't count. But if it's on the gift that's on the altar, well, then it's binding. This is We recognize this ourselves. This is silliness to have that sort of system of oaths. And and that background helps us to understand what's going on when Jesus condemns the use of oaths and when James does as well. In Jesus' time and in James' time, the making of oaths was all the rage. The Jews made oaths about all kinds of things, and and there's historical witness to this. And they developed this this secret hierarchy to these oaths where some were valid and binding, and others were not, and others were, were optional. And the result of this was the word of the Jews of that day was deeply distrusted. You can imagine how the Gentiles would have viewed them, trying to do business with them. And the, the Jewish person with, with whom they're doing business makes an oath and they walk away confident that the person's going to keep his word. And then they find out next week, oh, I only swore by the altar. I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. So in our Jewish tradition, that's not uh, binding. That's the sort of thing that enraged people against the Jews in that day. Uh, there's a recorded example of this in, in Jewish tradition uh, where they also said if, if a person swears by, uh, by the law of God, he's not bound. But if he swears by the content of the law, then he's bound to keep his oath. It's the same sort of silly uh, casuistry, the same abuse of, of their secret systems of, of oath-keeping. And you can only imagine then what it was like for people to work with, with these sorts of people. And so we can understand why Jesus and James just flatly prohibit the use of any oaths at all. Because in their day, the use of oaths was was designed more to avoid keeping your word than to ensure that you would keep your word. That kind of deceitfulness has no place in God's people. It's dishonoring to God. And we can only imagine how God's name would have been dragged through the mud by the Gentiles as a result of it. So Jesus and James warn very strongly against this. They they command us, let your yes be yes 
and your no be no. And that, of course, must always be a rule in every Christian's life. Our yes ought always to be yes. Our yes can never secretly mean no. And so what happens when we proliferate the use of oaths like this, we end up undermining our own credibility. And when it's in the name of God, we end up undermining God's credibility. There's an interesting example in the writings of Josephus. He was a a historian in the first century, in the time of Jesus. And, And he writes about this group of Jews called the Essenes. Uh, and they, they were a group of Jews who rejected swearing altogether for the same reasons that the Lord Jesus did. They simply said, we will not swear at all because oaths are an abuse of, of, of the truth. And the, these Jews had a very impressive reputation as a result. Listen to what Josephus uh, writes about them. He, he says, any word of theirs has more force than an oath. Swearing they avoid, regarding it as worse than perjury, for they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. Someone who can't be believed unless they make an oath stands condemned already. In other words, it was to their honor, to the honor of this group, that they never needed to swear an oath because people knew that they always spoke the truth. If you can't be believed without resorting to an oath, then shame on you. Uh, And we we get this uh, even in our own society. People who regularly swear oaths, even about trivial matters, undermine their own credibility. If you've ever watched the TV show Cops, uh, you know that the guy who's saying, I swear, I swear, I swear all the time, is the guy who's lying. Uh, that's, that's the way it goes. When you're swearing all the time, you're testifying that you have no credibility. Uh, people who swear to God, people say this, I swear to God, and often do that casually, uh, and often even jokingly, knowing that what they're swearing is not even true, they, they undermine their own credibility and they drag the name of God through the dirt in so doing. In that context, the command of James and, and the Lord Jesus is very understandable. We should be a people of our word. We shouldn't be swearing on a regular basis. Our yes ought to be yes and our no ought to be no. If we have to resort to swearing just for people to believe us in our day-to-day conversation, then, then truly shame on, on us. And so we should take this lesson and this rebuke to heart. It's sad that it is so normal in, in our culture, and, and more often than we think within the church, to hear people saying, I swear or I swear to God. That has no place in, in a Christian's conversation, uh, and, and especially when it's dealing with, with matters that are, that are trivial. Uh, nor should we be swearing by, by anything else. Uh, I was at the grocery stores about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and there was this lady in front of me uh, who went through the express lane with her cart you know, packed full of stuff. Uh, you've all met this lady, I'm sure, as well. And uh, the cashier let her know when she got there that she wasn't supposed to be in that lane. And she turns around with this, this shock, and, and she swore on her mother's grave that she didn't know that she was in the express lane. That kind of thing immediately undermines, and everyone knew this 
It immediately undermines our credibility. And further, her mother, if she really was in the grave at all, uh, obviously was not going to be the one to testify that she was speaking the truth. This is the sort of thing that brings dishonor on God and dishonor on ourselves. The same is true then when we, when we say, I swear to God, when there's no good reason to be swearing to God. It's shameful for ourselves, and it's dishonoring to God. And so swearing in God's name, when it's not even necessary, ultimately uh, treats God's name as something that isn't even worth much to us. And it treats the truth like it isn't worth much to us. And that's, that's what this, the third commandment is fundamentally about. How do we treat the name of God? Do we treat it like it's more precious to us than anything else? Or do we treat it like it's worthless? That's what we saw last week as well in, in how we use the name of God. In our day-to-day conversation, our yes ought to be yes and our no ought to be no, so that our truthfulness would reflect upon God's truthfulness. And when we use the name of God, it ought to be with fear and reverence so that His name would never be dishonored because of us. Now, does that mean that Christians should never swear and that the use of oaths always implies uh, that our, our plain yes and no aren't credible enough as they stand? Well, we know that that cannot be the case, and we've seen that already, because there are times when God permits swearing and even commands swearing in His name. And there are cases where God Himself swears. So, swearing, taking oaths, cannot always mean that your, your yes and no are, aren't otherwise to be trusted. Otherwise, God would never be taking oaths. Swearing in the name of God is simply calling upon God to bear witness to the truth. It doesn't have to imply that our word is untrustworthy. It might simply imply that we want everyone to know that we are very serious about speaking the truth. It's often an assurance to others who may not know our hearts, who don't know whether we're speaking sincerely, that we are conscious of the consequences for lying that we recognize that God is judge. And that's why this is required in court. That's no longer required that you place your hand on the Bible, you can place it on the Koran, you can place it on anything else uh, that you want. But it's still the most common practice, even today, to to swear in court with your hand upon the Bible. And it's, it's good that that is the case. In that small way, there's, there's a remnant of how our society honors or used to honor God as, as the one who judges. This is a good thing. Uh, public officials and military personnel are also required to take a similar sort of oath. And what this oath does is it makes clear that, it makes clear that we know that, we are, that our word is to be taken seriously, that there are consequences, eternal consequences, for speaking lies. And it makes clear to everyone else that we know this. So you might take the example uh, from Exodus 22, I re- referenced earlier, uh, where a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and then that animal dies while, while in his neighbor's uh, Excuse me, yeah, a man lends his animal to a neighbor and the animal dies in his neighbor's care. 
And the point of that law was to protect both the borrower and the lender. In the borrower's defense, it's possible that the animal simply died. These things do happen. Uh, And it wouldn't be fair then to hold the borrower to to account for that. On the other hand, it, it might have been something that the borrower did that caused the animal to die, and, and there would have been no witnesses to prove it. In that case, then there's justice is stuck at an impasse. There's nothing more that, that can be done. And so then the borrower would be required to take an oath in the name of God that he didn't do anything to cause the animal's death. Now, obviously, that, that oath by itself doesn't doesn't make restitution, uh, nor does it prove that anyone is speaking the truth, but it does, for the sake of the society, hold us accountable before God. It reminds both borrower and lender that justice will be served by God one way or another. And, And that sort of thing can often improve neighborly relations. Uh, the truth is where there, there are times where we don't trust our neighbor's word and, and we might not have the courage to demand them uh, that, they, that they take an oath. This law was here so that you wouldn't have to demand it. It was required already by law. Uh, you didn't have to force your neighbor to take that other step. The government themselves would make sure that they did. And this enabled people to live in relationship uh, without having that constant distrust. And that's why the Catechism mentions these two circumstances where Christians can and should take oaths uh, when the government demands it and when necessity requires it. And the most common cases when the government demands it are in court or, or in public service. Uh, also, many times when we sign official documents, Uh, There's an oath there. Most of you are doing your taxes around this season, and you sign an oath. And for Christians, we recognize that's an oath we sign before God. Um, It's not just the law that will hold us to account. It's God himself uh, who will will see to it that when we swear that oath, that we are speaking the truth. Uh, There, too, the third commandment that says, uh, He will not hold him guiltless who takes God's name in vain. It applies to every one of us, too, even on something like our taxes. Uh, So Christians are always to be a people of the truth. And and whenever we swear oaths, it ought to be a time where that's confirmed and shown to the world. There are also times when necessity demands the use of oaths. And, And these are not always so easy to discern. This can happen sometimes in the church. I know of situations where it has, where one member accuses another of very serious wrongdoing and there's no resolution. Uh, the one denies it, the other insists it, and, and there's no further uh, witnesses. Uh, sometimes, always as a last resort, but sometimes they might be expected to take an oath before the elders uh, in the name of God. That doesn't prove the, the point either way, But it does remind the congregation that we are all held accountable before the throne of God. He will will see to it that the liar will be held accountable. There are eternal consequences for our words, for whether we speak the truth or not. Uh, Sometimes we, we simply cannot know 
who is speaking the truth and who is lying. And if the matter is too serious to let it drop, sometimes it comes to the point where an oath is required. What these oaths do, as the Catechism says, is they call upon God as witness. And this is why in in these sorts of circumstances, a lawful oath can actually give glory and honor to God. You think again about oaths in the context of, of, of the courtroom. When we swear in God's name or with our hand upon the Bible, it's a public acknowledgement that God exists, that God knows our hearts and knows whether we are speaking the truth, and that God will judge us justly. He will hold us accountable. That's a testimony that we need in, in this world. It's a testimony that the world needs to hear. And that's why God commands that when we swear, we swear in His name. That gives Him the honor that He is due. Swearing on on our mother's grave or something silly like that gives honor that that does not belong to our mother that probably our mother wouldn't want uh, and takes that honor from God to whom it ought to be given. So there can be appropriate times to swear an oath in God's name. Sometimes it's simply to reassure others who do not trust us. Sometimes it's to lay a matter before the throne of God that we cannot bring to resolution. And sometimes it might be a courtroom setting where it's an opportunity to present the truth concerning God to to all of those that are there in the courtroom. That God will hold us all to account. Now, when we swear, Scripture is clear that it ought to be in the name of God. It's another reason that this Lord's Day is here. It's here partly because of the Anabaptist uh, position that we cannot swear oaths. It's also here because on the opposite end of the spectrum were Roman Catholics who were guilty of the very thing that Jesus and James are warning against, the abuse of of oaths and swearing oaths in, in other things that are not uh, other things besides the name of God. Instead of swearing in the name of God, they would often swear in the name of other saints. And, and that practice, too, robs God of the honor that God is due. That's the point that the Catechism makes. A saint is not worthy of the honor of, of being called upon as witness as one who will judge justly. That's not their job. That's what Christ will do. And so our oaths should give testimony to the fact that honor belongs to God and to God alone. So brothers and sisters, embrace the name of God that God has given us to use as a seal upon His trustworthiness and as a seal that we may use to confirm our trustworthiness. And we should use it then to promote faithfulness And truthfulness. It's because God knows our hearts that we can rest assured that no injustice committed against Him and no oath sworn in His name will ever uh, will ever be forgotten. No lie that's sworn in His name will ever go unpunished. Every human being, beginning with the church, will have to give an account to Christ for every word that we speak. This is a comfort for those who have been wronged, and especially for those who have been wronged and that wrong has been denied, that we know that God sees and God holds to account. God is 
perfectly just. He knows exactly what happened, and he will vindicate us if we are in the right. So let's not be unwilling ever to use God's name, provided we are using it with the reverence and the honor that it deserves. He calls us in those circumstances to use his name, and he's glorified when we do. When we use his name rightly, it's a calling to ourselves, to one another, and to the whole world to, to recognize the honor and the truthfulness of God. It points God, the world to a God who holds the whole world to account. And by doing so, it opens a way for the gospel as well. The only hope for liars, for those who have repented, is in the sacrifice of Christ before the throne of God who judged justly also on the cross, who nailed our sins that he could not let go unpunished, who nailed them instead to the cross. So seriously does God regard our words and our truthfulness that it took Christ all the way to the cross. So when we swear in God's name, every time we do so, it's a reminder to ourselves and to the world that he is a God of truth, And that this world, lost in darkness, filled with deceit, needs desperately to know and to fall before this God. When we use God's name with reverence, we we testify of that truth to the whole world, that they may also know this God, that they too may run to Him. May He then be glorified by the way that we use His name, so that He would receive the highest honor that he alone is due. Amen. Let's respond by singing from Psalm 139, stanzas 1, 2, and 13.